good to see family and friends of those who are being baptised this morning here today and uh, we hope that it will be uh, a rewarding and refreshing and blessed experience for you all. 
Let's stand as we come to worship God this morning. Come to the God who loves you. Come to the God in whose presence you are welcome. Come, for God is inviting you to worship. Come rejoicing, for God is faithful and just.
gather in the name of Christ. In him we are restored to God. In him we are made new. In his name we rejoice. Through his love we are forgiven. In his presence we are united. May his name be praised forever. Loving God for the times when we have wandered from your way, for the times when we have chosen selfish priorities, for the times when we have disregarded you and rejected your love, for thoughts, word, and actions that failed to show love, forgive us, renew us, welcome us home. Our God, we thank you that you welcome us home. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you that you celebrate our return. Thank you for your love that seeks and restores. Amen. Our songs today have all been chosen by those who are being baptised, and I think this next one was Alex's choice. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me.
Today's reading is taken from Acts, chapter 9, verses 10 to 19, which can be found on page 1102 of the Church Bible. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from the past, this story of Saul who became Paul and was baptised, and his old life was washed away. And we thank you that you wash away our sins, that you wash away all the things that we regret and have done in the past, and we can start again. And we thank you that on this day of all days that we remember that story, the story of a man whose past life was washed away. And we pray that you'll open our ears, our eyes and our hearts to all that you would say to us, to show us, and to have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus told a story about a man who was mugged on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The man was in a bad way, but fortunately, a priest saw him. Unfortunately, the priest didn't want to get involved and walked past. The same thing happened when another temple official came, and he walked past too. A third person came along the road, and he saw the man, but he stopped to help him. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus told this story to challenge the attitude of people to loving. Jewish people knew that they were to love their neighbours, but they didn't realise that this included Samaritans, who weren't the most popular of people in Israel at the time that Jesus lived. After he told this story, Peter responded to Jesus and accused Jesus of racism. Hang on a minute, Jesus, said Peter. I don't like that you're implying that we shouldn't expect kindness from Samaritans. The wife and I went to Samaria last year for our holidays, and they were lovely people. Couldn't do enough for us. Well, of course, that's not actually how the story ends. And so what I said might have come as something of a surprise. 
And that's sort of the point, really. Because as though we, although we might be familiar with the stories that Jesus told, when people first heard them, they often had a twist. In another one of his stories, Jesus was responding to some of the religious people who were grumbling about his behavior. Jesus was different from the other rabbis. He was certainly different from John the Baptist, that noted teetotaler and food forager. Jesus enjoyed a party, liked to drink, and wasn't fussy about whose table he shared. That story was about a man who had two sons, one of whom wanted the inheritance that was owed to him. But he ran through the money faster than Boris Becker. He took what he saw as his only option, which was to return home and try to get back into his father's good books. The father would hear none of it, and he called for a party. His son, who was lost, had been found. There was another son who stayed at home and who didn't understand what all the fuss was about. After all, he'd done nothing wrong, and yet no one made a fuss of him. All these years, I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, and now my brother's returned home having wasted your money and been given the freedom of the home. There is a danger in treating this story as binary, in that it encourages us to see one character as good while the other is bad. And it may also lead us to identify with one of the characters and see the story only from that person's perspective. In answer to the question, who was unhappy at hearing the prodigal son had returned home, one bright spark replied, the fatted calf. It's an old joke, but it's a reminder that for a long time, preachers have encouraged their congregations to identify themselves with that stiff-necked older son who doesn't welcome the sinner who has returned to the father. The older son is the one whose righteous anger is so familiar to all of us, who value loyalty and hard work. And yes, those preachers who encourage us to identify with the older son are not wrong because that son does live in each of us. But so does the other brother. So many of us, even those of us whose lives are apparently sorted, walk around thinking that we are disappointments to someone we love. And I wonder if it's also the case that even in church, we are discouraged from identifying with the, the fallen brother who desperately wants to come home. There is this assumption that we've got everything okay and our only fault is that we desire for fairness. That's our greatest sin, the desire to, for fairness before God. It's probably true to say that at some time in our lives we have all disappointed someone who has loved us. And that would include God. That's real. But so is grace real. And the thing about grace is that these moments of disappointment shouldn't define us. Unless, of course, we're so scared of our loved one's rejection that we choose to let those moments define us. But we are called home by God. The God who will come running down the road just to hold us once more. We turn away, not from life, but from those places in life where we are not true to the person God has created us to be. We may find that our failures are indeed real, but if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we may find too that God's love is so much bigger and better 
than we could have imagined. Maybe the only way we could ever truly disappoint God is by believing that we have messed up too much ever to be loved by God again. But even then, even when we refuse to give God a chance, my betting is that God will somehow find us. And in that moment, we will once again be welcomed home. But this story isn't about identifying with one or other of the characters. Part of the richness of this parable is that there are so many layers of meaning within it. There's a story that I read a while back about a man who went on a retreat where they were asked to think about the father in the story as a real father. And they were encouraged to discuss parental roles and parenting. The leader of the retreat pointed out that the father allowed his son to go to this strange land, not because he was indifferent to him, but because he had a deep love for him. He saw his son when he was a long way off because he was continually watching out for him. And this is what the man on the retreat wrote afterwards. It's rather lengthy, but bear with me, because I think that on this day of all days, it is important for us to hear. As I listened to the discussion, I felt as if I'd been kicked in the heart. My only child died when she was 18. I envied the father in the parable. Even while his son was gone, there was always the possibility that he would return. I would have given anything to have been in his position. I thought I had done everything possible to to cope with Laurie's death. And yet still I felt as if I were looking into a void, a blackness, a nothingness completely different from the comforting silence I usually found in my meditations. Then on Easter Sunday I heard a sermon on the women at the empty tomb from the Gospel according to Mark. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The preacher spoke of the fear that keeps many of us from entering into the joy and festivity of Easter. The fear of what the resurrection means for our understanding of the way the world works. It challenges our security, even if the only security we have is the constancy of our suffering. As he spoke, I realized that the void I had been confronting was my own fear. My spiritual journey had been moving me to a crossroads, and it was time to face this thing called resurrection. Not as something that occurred 2,000 years ago, but as something that had happened to my daughter and to me. I needed to decide what I believed. Either Laurie was resurrected in God or she wasn't. It was time to say either yes, I believe, or no, I don't. And I was afraid to make that commitment. The parable of the prodigal son had been the sign at the crossroad. I thought of the father standing on the hill near his house, looking out for his child. He didn't know whether his son was still alive. And I imagined his sense of abandonment, loss and despair. His friends and his older son probably were telling him that he'd never see his younger child again. The boy might have been robbed, killed or sold into slavery. Face it, they might have said. 
you've lost your child. His son might have been about Laurie's age. And I remember the times I'd questioned Laurie's friends or criticised her hairstyles, the times I told her she was recklessly impatient, which is one of the definitions the dictionary gives for the word prodigal. When his son left, the father kept nothing back from him. When his son returned, he threw a great party, again giving his child all his love, holding none of it in reserve. He had loved his son just as fully while he was gone as he did while he was at home. And I imagine the father standing on that hill, sending out his love to his child wherever he was. I realize that if I believe in eternal life, I should do the same thing. I should send out my love to Laurie in the faith that she would receive it. I saw that being in the father's position wasn't a question of what I would give, but of what I would give up. Would I be able to give up my guilt, anger and fear, and let go of my frozen memories? If Laurie is in God, then she is not pasted onto the pages of the past. She is part of an eternal, evolving present. During my meditations, I began to focus my thoughts and love on Laurie. I became the father, watching out for his child. I imagined the view from the hillside, the smell of the grass, the sheep bleating in the distance. Instead of dwelling on old memories, I thought of Laurie as present in my life now. And then one day I had the clear sense that my daughter was standing beside me and had her arm around my shoulder. And I wept, both from sadness that I couldn't hold her but from joy also because I knew she is alive in God. The more I meditate on the story of the prodigal son, the more it offers me as a grieving parent. Sometimes it is I who am the prodigal, wandering in the long valleys and circular trenches of grief. And then I think of Laurie, already with God, watching out for me, waiting to welcome me home. Sometimes I think about the elder son. He reminds me of my rational, doubting self the self that says my sense of Laurie's presence was a projection of my imagination, of my own needs and sorrows. He calls me sentimental and gullible. And I know I have a choice. I can stand with this observer as he wrings his hands and passes judgment on his father and brother, or I can wait with the father, my hands outstretched in the faith that my arms will once again enfold my daughter as we come together in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' parable requires discernment beyond human ways of thinking, discernment of the new creation that God is working right here, right now. We become part of that kingdom only because for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin. If Jesus had not left the Father and travelled into that far country to share a table with sinners, we would still be there, eating those pig pods. It's never easy to admit you're lost. We have to ask for help to make oneself vulnerable, dependent. But this story, when read correctly, teaches us that we will remain lost until God finds us. We will remain lost because we cannot find our own way home. 
We will remain lost until we recognize the loving touch of our heavenly Father upon our life and then respond accordingly, which is to admit before God, I'm not worthy to be called your child, but I thank you for your unmerited and unconditional love. I need you. Baptism is not a destination, but rather a point along a journey. And we're going to sing about that, and this was uh, Ian's and Tommy's choice. One more step along the world I go. just made it worse 
When I laid them on somebody else So I finally surrendered it all Brought down in despair I cried out for help And I felt a warm comforter there And I came to believe In a power much higher than I I came to believe That I needed help to get by In childlike faith I gave in and gave him a try And I came to believe In a power much higher than I Nothing worked out When I handled it all on my own And each time I failed It made me feel twice as alone Then I thought, Lord, there must be A surer and easier way For it just cannot be That a man should lose hope every day And I came to believe In a power much higher than I I came to believe That I needed help to get by In childlike faith I gave in and gave him a try And I came to believe In a power much higher than I There may be people here that have not seen um, a baptism uh, in the way that we baptize people, and so perhaps a word of explanation would be helpful. From the beginning of the church, baptism has been one of the ways in which believers had marked their coming to faith. And there are, here are three reasons why Christians baptize. Firstly, Jesus said that this was to be the way his disciples would be marked. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Make disciples in all the world and baptize them. Secondly, Jesus himself was baptized. He was baptized in the River Jordan, and in so doing, because it didn't, he didn't need to be cleansed from sins, Jesus was identifying himself as one of us. God come to live amongst us and baptized in the way that we are baptized. And thirdly, in our baptism, we are identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. 
As we go down into the water, it's as if we are dying with Christ. And as we rise from the water, we look forward to the day when we too will rise from death as heroes from death. And the baptism that we practice is no different from that in other churches. We baptize by immersion because we believe this to be the practice of the earliest Christians. And we baptize believers because we believe that it is faith that marks out God's church. And baptism is the mark of entry into the church, and then baptism, therefore, should be reserved for believers. And so as these four are baptized, they are following in the footsteps of the first disciples. But more importantly than that, they are following Jesus. In obeying his instruction, in walking where he has walked, and in sharing in his death, and in the hope of resurrection. Let us pray. We pray, our Father, for Ian, Alex, Tommy, and Teresa, our brothers, sisters, and your children. May this important step in their life's journey wash away the fears and sins of the past. May all they know of you be enhanced and magnified. And may what happens today underline their progress towards a sure and certain hope. And we pray for ourselves that you will speak to those of us who have never called you Lord, that you will awaken the faith within us that has become dormant, and that you will encourage us to go on in faith, enlivened by your spirit, to bring good news to the world in which we live. Amen. It is traditional that those who are baptised witness to their faith, and our four this morning are going to do that. And so I'm going to ask Ian, first of all, to come up and give his testimony of how he's reached this point today. Good morning. If you don't mind, can I just wait a couple of seconds? Because my daughter's just decided to take my nephew out to the toilet. So, <laughs> so I just wanted to, could, to be here. We could do a swap, Ian. Alex, yeah? are you... I suppose. There we go. That was quick. That was easy, wasn't it? No I haven't actually prepared anything, so if this sounds rambly, I'm very sorry. Um, several years ago uh, my mum passed unexpectedly and as much of a cliche as it's going to sound I really felt rudderless and you know I'd grown up with just her we'd been very very close um, and I really didn't know where I was going to go from there or what I was going to do with my life and it had been a rough year in, in general anyway um, and then one day Danny who was a deacon here at the time um, invited me here under the pretense of, oh, if you want to hang out with me later, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this tech at my church, and you've met Simon before. You know, he, he said, why don't you come, why don't you come over? Very much in that Danny way of not actually telling me why he's inviting me. <laughs> and there was just something in the word Simon said that day that struck a chord. And I began to feel a little bit better and I kept coming, and I, I kept coming. And slowly but surely, as Paula once put it to me, 
I gave myself over to God. I'd never not believed in God. I went away for a while. And um, I guess he was always just sort of keeping an eye on me, weighing in the wings. And at the moment I was ready, he came up to me and said, hey, I've got you. I've always got you. It's going to be okay. And that's been about five or six years. I've made some really, really great friends here. Um, and the moment I let God back into my life or sort of opened my arms back up, and I noticed my life just got happier and better. I just noticed everything around me felt better inside myself and out and I hope to continue that as long as I can um, I especially have Simon, Katrina Jan and Danny to thank and Johnny if you remember him as well they've all been a huge part of this decision so I'll stop rambling now I think the toilet trip's over <laughs> yeah thank you thanks Alex Ian do you want to come up It feels like ages since I last stood here. <laughs> Alex said he hadn't prepared anything and was rambling. Well, I think it went really well. I have prepared something and it probably will sound like rambling. I just hope it makes sense. Uh, when Simon first approached me about baptism, I was unsure. In my life, I've held back from doing things for being apprehensive, for being scared of the unknown or unsure if I'm good enough to try it or purely being scared of failing at whatever task that might be. I come to church, I read scripture, I pray. So why get baptised? I was born and raised here in St Albans into a wonderful loving family. by my amazing mum and dad. I was christened as a child and was always given every tool and encouragement to succeed. I came to Boys Brigade here at Dagnall Street where Trevor Oakley, Chris Penn and Roger Prowse were three of my leaders. And I've also recently found out that one of my Margaret Wicks infant school teachers, um, I knew her as Mrs. Troy, is also a member of Dagnall Street Baptist Church. I don't know if she can remember, but a lot of my comments in my school reports were, Ian is the clown of the class. Well, that ain't changed, as my family can probably or will tell you. Um, and also that Ian could do better. Ian can do better. And again, that refers back to being unsure if I was good enough to try things or do things. Life changed. At times in my life, I found I was bullied. Not tremendously, but bullied. And again, just seemed to accept it that it was the norm and there was nothing I could do about it. That was until 
due to various people coming into my life, I realised I didn't have to accept it. Life changed, and in various jobs and activities I got involved in, aggression and, yes, violence became the norm. But never being a bully, but indeed often dealing with them and explaining to them in various ways that that is not acceptable. Yes, I have a past. And because of this, I didn't know if I was good enough for baptism. <sighs> 2018 was the worst year of my life. I lost my mum and I lost my dad. My marriage broke down and I moved out of the family home. <clears throat> Eventually resulting in a breakdown and ended up in hospital. And I certainly wondered what life was all about. My faith was truly tested. I have family here today with me. My daughter, Crystal, who, if truth be known, if it wasn't for her, I may not be here today talking to you. My grandchildren, Riley and Harley, and their little cousin, Caleb. Unfortunately, my young son, William, couldn't be here today due to other commitments, which I fully understand as a 10-year-old <coughs> a child's party with burger vans and bouncy castles, etc., seem to take precedence. But I have received a lovely message from him this morning. Eventually, after all this, I rose again due to my family, friends, my Dagnall Street Baptist Church family, and, of course, the Lord. And I'm now once again in a good place. A friend of mine sent me a long text during this period of my life and ended it with one simple sentence keep making your mum and dad proud and that has really stuck with me and I hope I am doing and I'm trying my best instead of Ian can do better I hope Ian is doing better I want to make everyone proud my mum and dad my family my friends my Dagnall Street Baptist family and the Lord and indeed myself one Sunday long ago, I was at a service at Gosperton Baptist Church in Lincolnshire, where my parents had retired to. The minister gave a sermon, and it was all about timing and timings, and at the end said another sentence that stuck with me, only when the time is right. And that is certainly true of a lot of things in life. You know, and the Lord knows, when the time is right and gives to you when the time is right. So this brings me back to my original question. Why get baptised? Why am I getting baptised? I travel from Luton to come here to church at Dagnall Street as it holds a lot of happy memories of me and played a big part in my childhood and so is the obvious choice of place to be baptised. I want to show my commitment to do the best I can and be the best version of me I can be 
for my mum and dad, my family and friends, Dagnall Street Baptist Church family and the Lord. The best version of Ian Douglas Pearce, the person my mum and dad and the Lord made me, and to do something properly and fully. That is why I'm being baptised today. Thank you. By the way, sorry, by the way, I'm doing something today also that I am scared of. Today I'm letting Simon do something that I won't even let my own family do if we're in a pool or in water. I am scared to death of having my head put underwater. I don't like it. And funnily enough, that dates back to my days at Boys Brigade here at Dagnall Street when Mr Harris pushed me in the pool down Belmont Hill, not realising I couldn't swim. But if I can't trust Simon and I can't trust the Lord, who can I trust? Be gentle with me, please. <laughs> you stay in the front, Ian. Tommy, you're up next. Mine's quite a lot shorter than the others, so sorry. Um, so, like many others brought up in faith from birth, much of my belief depended on my parents. I would come to Elkham Street every single Sunday um, and listen to stories from the Bible from Diana Muriel and many others, um, and they were really amazing. But I think growing up, I, I definitely believed in God by virtue of my parents. However, having gone to university, I found myself in need of something reliable, comforting, and ever-present. Um, of course, I couldn't FaceTime my mum all the time, so I needed someone else there for me. Um, and throughout all of my new experiences, good and bad, God was and continues to be the only person who's constant in my life. My trust and faith in Jesus keeps me grounded, and my baptism today is testimony to that. I pray that God continues to guide me through this next journey of my faith and for all of us. Amen. Teresa. I'm a bit of a mix of Alex and Tommy. I haven't prepared anything, and it's probably going to be short. Um, I was raised in a dual denomination household, so my dad was a Catholic, and my mum took me here to Dagnall. And we'd go to church pretty much every Sunday, but we did a one, one week there, one week here. And I went to Sunday school here. It was I, I came every Sunday, and I understood what God was, and how faith changed people but by when I when I turned eight I went to a Christian summer camp called Ventures and in that place I finally realized what faith meant to me and how I believed in God I would learn to read the Bible and to study and it was a beautiful thing to go through at that point I realized I do want to be baptized I was told to wait a couple years and with with COVID, it has been seven years, and I know now what God means to me, and I want to proclaim my faith and step along with him. Would you please stand, everyone? And uh, <clears throat> Ian, Alex, Tommy, and Teresa are going to make their baptismal promises now. Oh, Ian's just going to get his phone. I'm going to ask them four questions.
questions. Ian, Alex, Tommy and Teresa, do you believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Christ? I do. Christ is my way. He is the truth, and now he is my life. Will you live within the fellowship of the church, and will you serve Jesus Christ in the world? With the Spirit's help, this will be my witness. We now come to the time when uh, these four will be baptised. We'll be going... In, in the order, uh, Ian, Alex, Tommy, and then Teresa. We're going to sing uh, a verse of a hymn between each of the baptisms, and the words will be, be on the screen. Um, if family members want to, <clears throat> want to come up, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, please come up to use the, uh, the choir stalls behind the, the baptistry, um, and uh, you'll be able to see there, but... You, you'll be able to see very well here as well, uh, unlike when the baptistry was right at the back. So, um, would you like to come forward, everyone? Everyone that wants to come forward, come forward now. Ian, your baptismal text comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. With Christ you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Ian, on your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Alex, your baptismal text comes from John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Alex, on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. text comes from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Tommy, on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teresa, your text comes from the second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verse 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Teresa, on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. to a time of prayer but as we come to this time of prayer let's just remember and remind ourselves that we all have different ways to pray short arrow prayers that say help long shopping lists of requests short thanks prayers and long one-sided conversations 
sometimes we seemed overwhelmed and are not sure where to start, not sure really what to pray for, or just need some comfort. And at times of open prayer, sometimes we feel inadequate. Some people seem eloquent, fluent, and some of us struggle to even put a sentence together. Some of us use the words of a hymn or worship song because it seems to say just what we want. It doesn't really matter. It's your conversation with God. And if you have a favourite prayer or something you find helpful and you'd like to share it in church or in a podcast or the Wednesday communion, let one of the deacons or Simon have it. Anonymous if you like. Other people may find it helpful too. And we're now in the time between Ascension and Pentecost, and at this time we're all asked to pray for five people that we know to come to know Jesus. And in praying, thy kingdom come, we pray for the renewal of our nation and transformation of our communities. But just remember, there's no right or wrong way to pray. God hears all prayers spoken whispered, silent. And I would encourage you in the weeks to come to pray for these four as they go forward in their Christian life. So let's pray. Loving Lord, we pray for peace in your world. Ukraine, Afghanistan, Iran, Sudan, all the countries where people live in fear and danger. Give those in authority wisdom, compassion, understanding, and ways to peacefully resolve differences. We give thanks for all who give humanitarian aid in these places, opening up their hearts, their hands, and their lives to help. We pray for the people of Texas, after yet another tragedy caused by gun violence, young lives lost. Be with all those who grieve and all who have had their lives permanently scarred. We lift before you the lonely, the frightened, the anxious, the sick, the weary, the tired, and the isolated those struggling financially, those battling addictions, and those who feel they have nowhere left to turn. Give them your strength, Lord, and let them know you are there for them. Bless the carers, the helpers, the givers, the listeners, the cheerers, and those who lift us when we're low. And in this week, we give thanks for our Queen and her steadfast Christian faith. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves using the prayer you gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. These four have professed their faith and have followed Jesus through the waters of baptism. There may be people here who have felt a call on their lives today. Uh, perhaps it's something that's been bubbling under for some time, but maybe today you feel that you need to make uh, some sort of public statement of that. And if you'd like to do that, do please come forward and, and sit on one of the chairs to, to my right or left, and then someone will come and pray with you. I haven't asked anyone to do that, but somebody will come and pray with you, that's for sure. You may think, I don't want to make a public profession of faith, uh, that, and that's fine too. Come and speak to me or Chris or one of the deacons at another time, afterwards this morning or during the week or, or whatever, but try not to let this moment pass without saying that you want to follow Jesus. We're going to sing our final song today, and this one was Teresa's choice, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky.
May you reach out to others as God reaches out to you. May you welcome others as God welcomes you. And may God bless you in your bad times with courage and in your good times with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.